This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music, and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. Today, Joe and Matthew meet at the Studio Complex to discuss a Todd Rundgren concert, artist evolution, and art center experiences. Alex Katz quotes are offered up as a New Yorker article is interrogated. Institutionalism is challenged. Refill policies are cast aside. Joe provides the audio pick of the day. This is episode 41. It was a can of worms that I didn't want to open at that time. Gotcha. It was just simply too much. You're big on the embargo. I am. I like to, um, but, um... I told you I was going back, and I actually did go back to upstate New York to see Todd Rundgren in concert oh, yeah. at Daryl's Club in Pauling, New York. I don't know if you've been to Pauling. I have not. Um, anyway, Daryl was not there. I'll tell you, this was billed as an unpredictable evening with Todd Rundgren. Because he could be really surly? Yes, yeah. and even more. I understand on this tour that there have been some surprises. He did songs that you would never expect to hear live by anybody, really. Everything, everything you can imagine. He did Hashpipe, Weezer, and then out comes Melanie. Weird. Yeah. And so his band has... It's just interesting. There, and there's there's a thread into the audio pick of the day here. But Is there? He has uh, possibly, let, for those astute listeners, they'll pick up on. So the keyboard player was none other than Greg Hawks. Yes. Who looks like he could have possibly been the model for Austin Powers at times. <laughs> and I do believe that Korg had a, like a preset you know, in the 80s, there was a Greg Hawks. Really? Yeah. Um, the Casio. These... Yeah, Cork, he wasn't playing Casio. It's him and then two of the members of uh, Utopia always is part of the deal. Called, seriously, I think it's, it's got to be. What? Anything to do with Todd Rundgren seems kind of a cult. Yes, but no. And and uh, there'll probably be more about that in a future episode, but uh, it was uh, it was an evening. It was an evening. It, Matthew White, Upstate New York, Part Thirty. <laughs> it was awesome. It was a it was evening that just it totally lived up to the unpredictable. It, it was the strangest mix so it was of a big back vibe. Uh, production value, I'm sure, was quite high with Mr. Rundgren. He did. I want you. She's so heavy. Which was, I mean, nailed it, and then he's and then he's doing a duet with Melanie. So some Utopia stuff. Some, I know Utopia is an acquired taste for some, um, but you know, to me, the measure of a, of a true artist is not that you love everything they do, but that you have to think about some. You like some. You don't like other bits. And well, especially somebody with that kind of longevity. I don't know. I mean, obviously, right now, like, there's a lot of interviews out there with Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. has a new record out. Um, and some of them have actually been quite good. Like, you know, there were years where I wouldn't bother listening to a Paul McCartney interview. And right now, I don't know, he seems to be in a... He's in a good place. Yeah. Um, but in, in, in terms of his candor, like, normally, he's mm-hmm. always just so positive. Everything's great. And, like, oh, it's a good album. You know? Kind of yeah, thing. yeah. He at least was talking about, like, 
Yeah, and it, was, it wasn't fun, you know, in the 70s to be dealing with all that critical backlash. And, of course, how do you measure up against the mm-hmm. Beatles? And you can't. You know, again, you're not talking... You know, often, like, some of these records that we pick for the audio pick, you know, maybe it's a, it's a one-off or... Then they like you know like Neutral Milk Hotel, amazing record, but maybe he was wise to then kind of disappear. Versus yeah. having to try to you know have a career of 20, 30 years, and if you're not taking chances and moving on, yes, what are you doing? You're, you're. I think Brundgren's a good illustration of that too, because he's had so many points in his career where he did that. He, he was he was getting the hits, yeah. but then he. Um, but then he would switch um, altogether, either genre or um, you know writing. Uh, something would get switched up, and um, but understand yeah. though that he has the luxury also of uh, of a very successful production career. When you look at what he has produced, yeah. it's hard to get your head around. He produced uh, he produced Badfinger. He produced. Uh, uh, stage fried the band, and and I know we've uh, you'll be able to recall like what episode number, but he also did the fabulous Skylarking by XTC. That's and, right. And there's all kinds of great dirt on that one. Like both band and producer absolutely detest one another, yeah. and will just. And uh, I think that changes perspective sometimes when you hear like if a band announces a record, like oh it's just crap. Yeah. It, like I remember, like when REM said when they were looking back to Fables of the Reconstruction, which was 1985, and they were like, "Yeah, it's that album." You know, literally, Bill Berry's like, "Fables sucked," and it's still one of my favorite. Right, but at the time, I remember that started to kind of get into my head a little bit. Like, wow, oh, the band thinks it sucks. They almost broke up. They were, but they were like, "What?" Probably. Did you think it sucked at the time? No, I loved the record. Yeah, always have loved the band. Record. Yeah, was just it wasn't a good time for them. And yeah. Yet, Creatively, they changed you know direction considerably from Reckoning, and then think about they go from that to Life Stretch Pageant. Yeah, and that's like going from like you know a, a dark room into you know Technicolor, but uh, that's gotta be gotta be difficult for uh, creative people to um, continue to move forward and not be weighed down by like what you know what's working. But you know you talk about musicians that. Are, Let's just keep it to that because we could do the same thing with art, but that, but musicians that uh, continue to change, uh-huh. uh, and sometimes it's not comfortable, or they make you know what in, in your eyes is a bad record, mm-hmm. um, and then sometimes is it twenty years later? Like I think that's where McCartney was coming back around, where there's a lot of people now that are like, no, Ram is like, <coughs> are you okay, swallow rum, swallow rum. You got all choked up. I started talking about Ram. No, I would say a lot of those McCartney records are now starting oh, wow. to be yeah. are starting to be appreciated in the way that they, they should be appreciated. And I will say this, you were certainly way ahead of the curve. Thank you. I've I I, I spent most of my life being ahead of the McCartney curve. I, 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 I can almost picture the saloon we were in when it was one of those. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. You're, uh... And I was going on about Wings at the Speed of Sound of Bat. I like that record a lot. It's a hell of a record. I really like that. It's a great record. Beware My Love. Yes. Probably one of my One favorite. of the most underappreciated McCartney songs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could go on about McCartney for hours. Um, Let's hear more about some of your trips. Hey. <laughs> Seriously. Now, you've been on the first floor of Dia Beacon to see, let's see, 
the Francois Molinet sculpture. This is called in, 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 that's, that's got the Francois Molinet installation. No end neon. Is that correct? That's correct. You have seen that. Now, did you notice how you were directed to engage with it? Did you go around the perimeter or did you go through it? Uh, but it, again, when you walk in and there's the greatest, you know, Instagram shot of all time with the Walter D. Maria. Yeah. And then that's what one of those yeah. places like, oh, no photos. Right. And while they're castigating you for that, there's yep. three people right behind you taking that picture. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're pretty low-key, although, like, they're they're not guards, they're not docents, and they're all... Gallery attendant? Is that what you call it? They're just dressed beautifully. And it was it was cold when we were there, but they were, like, full-length, like, tunics and wraps. It was, you know, it's an old factory, it's cold in there, but I remember thinking, like, they, but they just kind of appeared, it was like something out of the Seventh Seal, we were like, oh, oh, Yeah, oh. yeah, 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 they, they have a tendency to do that yeah, there, I don't know like, what. Sure their spirits but so I just kind of after a while I'm like I'm not gonna push it like so if they say don't so you of course probably want that alright you're a maverick so did you ask yourself as you were walking did you walk around it or did you walk well, did you walked around it or you just kind of poked your head in and then bolted I think by truthfully by the time I got to the you were floor you're just totally brain dead and I'm also like where's the bookstore Right. Espresso, but um, I don't remember having the option. When you see this installation, there is one way you're supposed to walk. So you enter and you walk one way, kind of diagonally through the installation. Yeah. Okay. So the first time I went, I, I became aware of that. I immediately was asking myself, okay, is walking right down the middle of it, was that determined by the wishes of the artist or the institution? Maybe there was a compromise between the two. So the last time I went, I made a point to enter the room from the opposite side. I ignored the attendant to see what would happen. They love that. And I was most certainly stopped. Uh, Even though I wasn't doing anything but trying to experience the work. But I approached it much the same that I approached Ikea. And that is to go through the exit. So when you go in Ikea, don't go that way. Go and it changes the experience, you know. So I tried to do that with this. So I'm thinking institutions have more rules because they have more stakeholders and oversight. You've got insurance, the fire marshal, the taxman, board members. And when I see this work, I think of all this. I just can't, I can't seem to enjoy and digest the work itself. Well, what if that's the artist? Like that to me, you've got neon on the ground. Yeah. Um, and in this day and age of like work, sometimes like you're supposed to touch versus not touch, photograph, not photograph. Like, so I, I actually like someone that's saying, "No, you can't just do whatever I, the hell you want, get a selfie." And I mean, I, that, there's something about that. Like, you have to maybe experience it on the artist's terms. And I'm, I'm wondering on whose terms is it. So my understanding is that this. Um, this particular installation was started decades before, and then it was expanded for the de- uh, for the Beacon installation, and the estate was involved at that point. So it, was, it could also be insurance. I mean, like, what about when you see oil paintings under, right. under glass? Right. Yeah. So I, I want to think with his work specifically that 
perhaps that was part of the intent of this work, and I hope so, but I don't think so. So you like, you like knowing what the boundaries are, and you don't have a problem if they're determined by the artist or the institution. I don't care. Um, I mean, it's interesting to ponder it, but, um, you know, I'm trying to think of some of those sculptural works on the main floor where there's that, those, those big, like, concave cutouts and there's a plexiglass wall. Yeah. And you, you want to get up high to look at but you can't. There's only right. one other. So in a way, it is kind of interesting that we're kind of thwarted because so much of those of the other galleries, you can walk around and you still can't touch anything. But I'm not a toucher. Uh, You're not, okay. Or a hugger. But, uh, yeah. That's um, a shock to people. But, uh, I, but you know, like, I don't, I don't I know, understand that if you've got a two-dimensional piece hanging on the wall, that there are that part of going into the making of this piece. Then I understand that the space around it, how that's going to be dictated by this piece. In a piece like that, to really experience it, if I'm not going around the perimeter, I want to be able to go all the way through what it. What about like Robert Irwin, who we've seen some pieces fairly recently, like in Houston and all that? There, there's some dictates in terms of how yeah. you take that in, or like the mattress factory, like don't step off this kind of pathway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or literally you probably breaking an ankle, or it seems that you're going to just tumble into the abyss. But I kind of wonder, is it in this age of, again, like installation madness, where it's like, Woodstock free concert. There are no rules. You can, mm-hmm. you can touch everything, and mm-hmm. you can you know change it around and make it your like. I don't. There's something about a finished piece. It's like yeah, this is where you can see it. I mean, Mona Lisa's behind glass. Yeah, bulletproof glass. And so you don't ask the question, why can't I? Oh, no. yeah. That's, that sounds like a really stodgy, boring. But I don't know. I think I think like all those you know, years of like going to the Met and all that. Maybe that just kind of. Like, been institutionalized in a way yep. of how like you take stuff in and you know you know I think it's amazing when I can actually write in a notebook in pen in a museum and no one's giving me not looking at me like I'm a terrorist oh because yeah yeah you know for years it was yeah. like, and then they'll give you a pencil which I never understood that pencil is sharper than my yeah pen yeah yeah <laughs> when I can drive it right through the pencil is sharper than the pen but uh anyway um so of course in all of this what we're getting at here is you like to push boundaries we're discussed no uh, no I don't like to push boundaries you do because I think it was it Tampa that you uh, you had a little altercation an altercation in uh, Miami Kansas City did I have an altercation I had an altercation you had a serious well what's at the core of this is the weight of institutionalism it is so I would like to point out that the most approachable person you may have encountered her at the cafe. Cafe. Do you know who I'm talking about? I believe she bent the rules on my iced tea refills. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I needed a refill on my iced tea. And given some of the experiences I've had in that institution, I expected the worst. And I went up there and uh, really, it's yep. like one of my absolute favorites. Oh, it's an no, no, no! It's an amazing. It, it is. It is great. What about the bookshop staff, though? I've never really. They're, they're kind of oh. non-existent. Yeah. Um, Storm King. I told you, I rented a bike there once. 
It had a little brake pad left on it. <laughs> I couldn't find a helmet that fit. But, and I, and I jotted this down, I was told that it was okay as long as I had the helmet in the basket while riding. <laughs> I love it. So my question... I immediately asked, how is this protecting my head if it's in the basket? And then I realized that that is not the problem being solved with the helmets. So you can't bring your own bike to Storm King. And you are supposed to follow those signs that direct you to walk your bike anywhere where there's a change in grade. Did you notice that? Which, if you think about it, that is a good portion of the story, yeah. <laughs> right? So you rent the bike, which is about $20 an hour, I think. Is it 20 an hour? Something like that. That's a bracket. I think the problem that institutions face is how do you balance helping versus getting in the way of experiencing art? That's that's a big one now, like because like Storm King, obviously they clean the work. There was a uh-huh. piece recently, you know, they were showing like the I don't know what the staff is, but um, and yet you know, no touching. And I guess again that we're in this weird age where uh-huh. everyone thinks it's like they're at a food court or something where you should be able to just touch. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Like I said, I think I'm a little more. I'm not going to walk up and touch something and I expect other people but people will they'll sit on it for a selfie how is it any different like going I mean I haven't been in a million years but like I can't imagine like Disney like the, the amount of rules and or those types of entertainment but like where there's still a similar thing where you're walking around experiencing well no now you can buy the express pass too did you know about that no of course not you move to the front of the line I just mean in terms of like what's permitted, you know, in yeah. terms of that. But like with art, I mean, you're kind of pushing for this uh, all access. And I'm not pushing for that. All I'm hammering here is that's the challenge that institutions face now is that you have all of these, all of these stakeholders. But what is your take, even though when you're in gallery? Galleries have no problem, obviously, it's for sale. But with being able to look at the work with a drink, for instance, and then at most institutions from an insurance standpoint yep. and or just because people are idiots, yep. you know, something, like, oh, you can't go past this line with a drink. What happens? And as we've seen time yep. and time again, like, not a whole lot of people looking at the work, but nope. it's more of like... But they're all party. drinking behind the line. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. That's another one that. Uh, it's hard to, it's difficult to interrogate the work from behind the line. I also provided you with a copy. We have a lot of handouts today of indicators, artists on climate change. Yeah. Uh, I thought of nothing. This was showing upstairs, you know, and you go to the, if you can't take your uh, bike, by the way. You can't take your bike to where the gallery is. Did you know that? You have to take a car. Does Citibank have anything to do with the bike program? What? I wonder who's making money. Like somebody. I wonder how... Michael Cohen, you think he had the, he had the license for that? I wonder how you insist that people take the car up to see the show on climate change, but not the bike. Hopefully it was powered by that. Cauliflower. <laughs> no. And it was hot as hell in there and they had the doors open. 
it's a lot. It's a lot to uh, it's a lot to unpack. Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about, but uh, you know, when you start thinking about what type of work you want to make, what work is in fashion, mm-hmm. what work is getting grants, recognized, etc., residencies, and and I think to still perhaps think like, well, you know, you stick to one's guns uh, and wait for however long for those times. And they will change. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. There's a lot of great work out there right now, but um, I think that's that's one of the difficult parts about being an artist. And I think the worst thing you can do is try to, try to jump onto these trends, but man, it's... When you speak of fashion, I think you're right we have to discuss this now. Sure. So, brief, uh, we get homework. There were two articles in the New Yorker recently, uh, Painterly Virtues, Alex Katz's Life and Art by the uh, fabulous Calvin Tompkins. And, uh, and I knew I wanted you to weigh in on this. Uh, but promiscuous painting uh, by the fabulous Zadie Smith uh, discussing Henry Taylor. And it's just, you know, it's always fun to see like a fiction Good. writer. Yeah writing about art and here this one's like four or five paces, pages four or five pages uh, really well written yeah. and uh, Calvin Tompkins I've always loved his writing but I, I really felt I have a lot of underlined exclamation marks that this one really seemed and I knew your angle going into reading this so I, I tip, I'm not a good you tipped your hand yeah but like, yes. it's pretty obvious. This guy, yeah, and he's a force to be reckoned with. Hi. Where do you want to dive in on this? Where do you, what's the first pull quote that you... Uh... Well, I was just... And, you know, we're talking about Todd Rundgren, and I'm thinking of these people that have, on one hand, like, force of nature. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, didactic. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, like, would want to be in the same room with them in mm-hmm. terms of that kind of mm-hmm. personality but ego yeah. and I'm always amazed like how important is ego in terms of career you gotta have something you know it's not, I'm not saying Alex Katz doesn't have talent and I'll withhold my judgment in terms of like but this article Calvin Tompkins I have to say over the years like, I've never seen him uh, gush <laughs> in such a, a fashion you used a different terminology earlier, I did. but I didn't. We're a show. <laughs> See, and here's another thing. I had the benefit you you uh, ran this on the Ditto machine after. Uh, <laughs> oh, you got my you got my you, you, I got the underline, so it col- it colored my. Uh, read. Oh, but the first the, the, it does it changes. But I, but the first pull quote here: I refuse to make sincere art. Yeah. Sincere art is art that relies on subject matter to carry it. An honest painter is one who doesn't paint very well, and it shows. In parentheses, another wide grin. Katz, as critics have increasingly come to realize, is a very good painter. Uh, that killed me. <laughs> <laughs> but they, I mean, I, can we agree is a very good painter? I mean, it's, you, you can't. He's had an amazing career. I, I'll just, I, it's, I don't care for his work. But it's also subjective, kind of. Of course I don't is. know how you... I mean, do I, but I'm not saying, like, it doesn't deserve... But, I mean, I just think when I hear this, my eyes, you know, talk about making work for a brief period where maybe, you know, he had a dark night where he was questioning, and he says, you know, I kept making paintings, and they were good, but they were boring. 
Yeah, so, yeah, okay, yeah. They still were good, but... And then he goes on and on. If, but if you were to back up... Uh, they're brand new and... Tri- he's like the Trump of painting. They're well... Cool. They're brand new. They're terrific. They're great. So one of his rules is no noodling. Did you see that? Which means no fussy brushwork. No, he makes it painting mm-hmm. once sitting. That's fine. It might be all day, wet under wet. An hour and ten minutes after he'd started, he backed off, took another long look, and said, "It's perfect." Have you ever done that? Yeah, I've certainly. I think everybody. Can I've never, Joe. I've never. I've known you for a while now, and I've never. You're not the kind of person that steps back and says, "It's perfect." No, I don't say it's perfect, but I'm saying like, have I ever finished something, you know, relatively quickly? I don't make work quickly. Um, I love that William F. Buckley that I had quickly. Um, <laughs> my mascot. But I, I, that's a familiar trap because people are always, you know, whether it's in a, you hear an artist talk, you're like, how long did that take you? And the, you know, you can, there's always either the old, like, crusty New Yorker, like, 40 years, kid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or, but I, I also hear artists at times that want to be snide. Like, if someone made something, I'm like, hey, you know, like, a, a gesture drawing is meant to be made in, you know, like, yeah. two minutes or less. Or, there are those moments and maybe if you're literally on your game you're working every day like I'll bet you it's like when a band sometimes like a live a lot Joe Jackson doing a whole live record in the studio yeah. directed disc right yeah. no edits no mistakes no nothing yeah. versus so I, I don't want to I'm not going to uh, I have other reasons that I don't care for him not that he's prolific and he works quickly that's that I do respect if that makes you know, like I have no beef that he can make a painting in a day or an hour. No, Wait. no. My problem is when you go look at it after a while, you're like, yeah, but he's making the same paintings for. Ah, I know some people you can't say that to. You know, versus like Gerhard Richter, like watch that. You know. I think I had a problem with this quote. Cooper Union. At Cooper, I went from someone who was basically incompetent to being the best painter in the school. I loved when he was talking about meeting, you know, Frank O'Hara and, um, I, Oh yeah. You know, yeah. And cool. You know, I said, listen, Frank, I know how good I am. And then, yeah. yeah. And I, as somebody who has like, you know, very little self-confidence, I'm like, I, I imagine like, well, how would my life be different if I had that or I actually believed it? Cause I, this guy, this guy's bully. Oh, yeah. Like, not even, yeah. Donald Trump believes it. Yeah. But, uh, I just, you know, and as he says here, he says exactly what he thinks on every occasion, and his opinions can be abrasive. Sure. But, uh... But see, I also think that Tompkins here is, uh... And by the way, you can, again, you can... I think you can purchase this uh, back copy online, or, uh... Just behind a paywall, or, uh... No, I'm encouraging people to... But... He says... You know, are, you, are you kind of... Laughing at my old school method here of like literally cutting the article out of the magazine, making the no, I love it. No, I love it. I miss this. I miss this. A metal filing cabinet, and I can almost hear it shutting oh, yeah, up. I do WD forty every now and then. Do you really? Yeah. Hey, you really <laughs> uh, what do you see? I think though, Tompkins gives us a wink. Did you did you pick up where he gives us the wink? Because he's because in one the paragraph is. Katz had found a way to paint portraits that he described in a 1961 statement as brand new and terrific. Calvin Tompkins gives us the wink 
shortly thereafter, saying, Cats will use any available means, including obsolete techniques, which I don't understand what that is, to get brand new and terrific effects. Yeah. And I'm thinking that that's the out. That You don't think that's enough, though? What's an it's gushing. What is obsolete? I don't understand what an obsolete technique is. I mean, in art, there is no obsolete technique, is there? I mean, we're not talking about coding here. Although in some new media on it, that, that would I, be allowed. I will profess that I am not a Calvin Tompkins expert. I have a lot of his articles archived. In manila folders. In, my in metal, metal filing cabinet. Filing cabinet. Oh, yeah. But uh, that's one of those where I question sometimes, is that somebody who has written about art and is brilliant, but is not an artist? Like, you've never made paintings, maybe. Which is fine. That's great. But when you say, like, an obsolete technique, because I'm like, what the hell does that mean? I don't know what that is. Yeah, I, I really that and I didn't that that. But it has mystique and it sounds and I think like a lot of artists hide behind that. I make my own paint. I grind my pigments. You know. Like, yeah. And that's not obsolete. I mean, that's. Yeah, I make brushes. Like, uh, did you? Okay, on down it says Rauschenberg and Johns took him to dinner and Rauschenberg posed for a cat's portrait, a double image of the artist seated. Cats saw Rauschenberg and Johns socially a few times after that. Their work impressed him, but Katz thought he was a better artist. Yeah, that one just like, oh, really? My, my thing, my problem with that was he's, it's apples and oranges. I don't know how you can just be a better artist. I know, but that one, in the, that's why I'm like, this guy's basically yeah. writing the book to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame or something. Yeah. Wow, you think, and again, it's like arguing over, like, what's your favorite movie or you know, your favorite band, but I'm like, that one, I literally was like, wow, this dude thinks he's in the same league. And this article goes, There's somebody yeah. somebody that thinks I'm an idiot for like, of course he's much better than those two. But I'm like, oh. wow, Robert, you, you were more like Robert Rauschenberg in terms of his the inventiveness. That, the not even dead to, yeah. making the same with yeah. the wet paintings and painting his wife for years. And everyone suddenly now loves it. I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. Uh, I, hey, how about this? this? As for conceptual art, it was, quote, mostly philosophical ideas and it comes from universities. A lot of artists don't master their craft until they're 35. Yeah. But you can be a first class conceptual artist when you're 18. This year, this one. <laughs> And I'm, you know, I respect Warhol. I, but this is the great. What about Warhol? And he's like, Warhol's an illustrator. None of his paintings hold up his paintings. In terms of image making, the guy is fantastic. And it's a decorator. He's up there with Twombly. And I'm like, oh. Oh, that was, oh, that's brutal. <laughs> you know what? The, that illustrator line is exactly what Gorky used on de Kooning. He said, he was like, you're, you're, what a great illustrator. They were pretty tight, though. But he had that nasty side to him. He was, yeah, he was sick in that studio burned. I uh, wrote, I wrote in the margin here. You have to give it to him for playing the long game. I'll give cats that, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know what was amazing though, and uh, on page sixty-four here though. I mean, in the article where you're talking about, you know, all of these legends. You know, at the same time when you're talking about Polka, mm-hmm. Schnabel, mm-hmm. Dan Sally, Jacqueline Humphreys, Charius. Boom. And you're just like, wow. Yeah, I was impressed by that. How awesome is that for her? It's great. Yeah, that is great. 
Hey, is it time for the audio pick of the day? I think it is. Oh. We've been dancing around this. But before we get there, while we're talking music, but uh, so I had an experience recently in a record store that I've shopped in for years. But it's like the, the, the typical salty record store guy. And it's like, hey, let me know if there's anything you're looking for. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, thanks, go. And you don't want, and you and don't want it. Now, like, hey, you know, we got like such and such in the back, you know, or if we don't have it here, you know, we've got thousands of records nearby, and we can get it to you. And it's like, okay. Uh, so I'm kind of confused, and I can't quite get a read on this guy. So um, there's a record I've been just, you know, really waffling. A teenage fan club band wagon esque been on the list for a while and I'm like alright do I go ahead and buy that's not the audio pick of the day it's not okay do I it could be it's a fantastic record but it came out in what 91 so they're came out on creation records it's all you know it's all over discogs and there's a discogs tie in here in a second and you know it's like do you say you buy a good copy of that and they're they're going for some serious coin and then there's a new release and it's like mid 20s which I still feel like 20 something dollars for a Final record is obscene. It's something happens at that twenty-five. I, how many copies of Rain Dogs have I missed? Because it's like oh, I'm not paying thirty-five and now. They're, they're yeah, you're like, priced yeah. out. You're priced out of the market. I, so I just asked him. I'm like, have you listened? Have you heard this record? Because you know, and he's a guest playing like the original Lincoln here. You know, <laughs> and then just kind of didn't really. I was like, I was just curious. Like, is this a decent? I've been reading online. In varying opinions of this remix, what's the quality? Of course, it's 180 gram. I think weighs more than a phone book or whatever. But uh, and he never quite would give me an answer. So I thought that was odd. Then he goes off on Discogs that just how they are just the most awful people. Don't take you know their vendors into consideration. Blood like using words like bloodthirsty and so. Uh, then I just thought I just want to like. You know, and there's still stuff I gotta look for. I'm like, I gotta get the hell out of here. And like, well, you know, is there anything else you're looking for? And then I, I broke my rule and I throw out. Right? Don't do it. And he literally was like, we're suddenly like entered into this drug deal. He said, all right, I don't have it here. Are you local? <laughs> Close. And I'm like, but so how much? And he just, and then he hands me this flyer with this info and he's got like a mind spring or an earthling <laughs> no it's mind spring but that's what clue, I'm like wow you're still on that <laughs> you got a modem at home you didn't dial it up but I'm just, just like so I'm like I see I can get it on Discogs you know and I'm like just roughly how much you know and he just it's like then it would just the subject would change and this is the best part it's a long long wind up here but He's like, you know, I, I haven't listened to record. I haven't listened to vinyl in over ten years at the house. What? This store is like ninety-eight percent vinyl. He said, "That's that CD sounds so much better." Like, I'm gonna test. Cassettes even sound better than vinyl. No. I swear to you. I swear to you. And I thought I'm dealing with a crazy man. And now. The Brain Fuzz audio pick of the day. So, wow. So I was tasked with the audio pick of the day. And, uh, you know, this is a record I continually go back to here in the studio, you know, just through the computer. 
and also uh, an original copy at home. It never ceases to just amaze me in terms of uh, what it comes from. Um, so it's it's the Modern Lovers' first record. Okay. Really their only record, and it's you know you can obviously do the little scurry all the details, but. So Modern Lovers were made mainly together like 1970 to like maybe 74. Jonathan Richmond. Uh-huh. Uh, Jerry Harrison. Uh-huh. They went on to Talking Heads. Uh-huh. Uh, David Robinson, drummer for The Cars. Okay. Or, or left to be to found or be, be a founder of The Cars. And uh, Ernie Brooks were the, the core members. Um so this was recorded basically in like 1972. It wasn't released till 76. But to listen to this record in terms of 1972 and the bulk of the record was recorded, I think in LA, not that that matters, but with John Cale, mm-hmm. Velvet Underground. Jonathan Richmond, you know, obviously has a song called Velvet Underground and a vowed Velvet Underground disciple. I think even lived for a time on the couch of like the, the manager of the Velvet Underground, opened for them pre. But uh, so to think about like, you know, you record this and it's, you know, going between labels and different producers and all that, it just goes nowhere. So 1976, the band's broken up. This thing gets released. Um, and the best thing is if you look at on the back of the record, there's a, uh, one of the songs, Hospital is listed as donated by Jerry Harrison because he was in possession of like the original master. <laughs> so it's just kind of this cluster, you know, of, and so many records that like, you know, just get patched together and yeah. finally, Hey, it's going to be hot. It could be a hit. But so thinking of 1976, when this thing comes out and what I'm trying to contrast, like, you know, this is still pre-punk. Yeah. And if you listen to this, like this record to me, was like, it was retro, and future at the same time like thinking of 1972 and I happen to just pull up here the top 100 songs of 1972 of which Todd Rundgren's I Saw yeah. the White yes. was like number 90 something but so to think of some of these songs like Government Center and Pablo Picasso Roadrunner and you're thinking the number one hit was Roberta Flack the first time I ever saw your face wow yeah. Pie, yeah Nielsen with Without You so I mean yeah. Melanie with Brand New Key but like a lot of Brandy by Looking Glass a lot of singer-songwriters Neil Young Heart of Gold and here's this like you know very basic rock and roll do you think it would have been received differently in 72 than in 76 or but think of that also would it like have the just other side flat? of 72 of like being yeah. you know Led Zeppelin and like yeah that's rock, true rock and I mean these are the hits Morning is Broken Arlo Guthrie City in New Orleans, Bread, Argent. This thing was so like out of its element or out of time. And then in 76 to like influence, it's like it's proto-punk, it's proto-post-punk. It's And yet And it still like is a very vital, like it doesn't sound dated. I I, I mean obviously these are my Oh, I want to hear the 1976 hits. Yeah. I want to say Silly Love Songs was... Yeah, so, the number one? Yeah. Wings, Silly Love Songs. Yep, 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 yep. Number two, Elton John and Kiki D, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Wow, I thought that was later. Uh, play That Funky Music, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, Love is Alive, a fact that Gary 
Gary Wright. What a hell of a song. Oh, yeah. Um, we buried Manilow, Diana Ross, Seals and Crops, Nazareth, Love Hurts. Ooh. But think of that David Bowie, Golden Years. Yeah. Bowie went on to cover Papa Picasso. And yes. Yeah. Was that on the reality album? Either that or what's the one where he covers? Frampton, Aerosmith, Dreamon. Anyway, I just think, like, again, it's amazing to always hit. Wow. Maybe that's the armchair anthropologist in me. But I, I love to kind of look sometimes. It's like, what else was out at that time? And some of this stuff, you know, sadly, when you're alive for it, you're just like, wow, like, you remember what was on the radio? And, like, obviously, Jonathan Richard was not being, or Modern Lovers was not being played on the radio that often. You know, but, like, you wouldn't have Jack White without that record. You wouldn't have a lot of, you know, it's one okay. of those kind of things, yeah. right? thing in terms of that back-to-basics slash garage, yet uh, it just prefigured a lot of things. Uh, what, what else? What else we have? We're I think it's like kind a long winding road here. We've, uh, we've denounced Alex Katz. We've talked about your travels. Right. No, I think um, it's good stuff. I'd say that's the uh, institute. Well, it will be one of many institutionalism. Ep- that's the institutionalism episode. I still like you've always you're, you're the. the master card player still not sure where you're falling on this one you're wanting a decentralized institutional is this an institutional critique <laughs> does it what does that uh, uh well you know that's the way I like it 1976 you can put those pieces together on our website at brainfuzzpodcast.com uh instagram brainfuzzpodcast hey that's Convoy fooled around and fell in love. Welcome back, Cotter theme song. John Sebastian, come on. What a year. 76 was a hell of a year. Let him in? Wings? That's right. Let him down off. Both off of Wings at the Speed of Sound. Hello, evil woman. Wow, yeah. Let me get one more. Let's see. Rhiannon. That was huge. Mm. Daryl Hall. She's gone. Queen. Connect with Joe and Matthew and find out more about this and other episodes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. On social media, share your thoughts and comments with hashtag brainfuzzpodcast. Follow us on our 100% organic Instagram account, brainfuzzpodcast. Rock and roll.